Hello, everybody, and welcome to Frontside Podcast, episode number 86. My name is Charles Lowell, your developer here at the Frontside and podcast host in training. Um, I'm uh, flying solo today, so um, it's it's been a while, but that's okay because I've got a really fantastic guest on, someone who we've, we've actually, we, we debated this at the beginning of the show, uh, whether this was the third or the fourth time that he's actually been on, but no times are too many. So hello, Alex Matchner. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. It's, uh, it's great to be back. Yeah. You're still at the same place that you were the last time. Yeah. I'm still working at a future proof read though. Just still working on a bunch of, uh, mobile Ember Cordova apps and, um, it's still definitely occupying all my time. Nice. You know, because future proof retail has a large hardware component, uh, and we were doing a series on IoT. We were originally going to have you on the show to actually talk about that experience of, of what it's like to be a part of a startup and develop software that's going to be you know, running on a bunch of devices and the, the kind of the unique set of problems that poses. But in the pre-show, we decided to scrap that because there's actually a topic that you know, we're both very interested in and you've been heavily involved in lately. Uh, and might be a really interesting preview as to what's coming, both you know in the Ember community and at large. And so today we're going to talk about, we're actually going to go back to talking about the same subject that we talked about in our first podcast, which is routing. And you know what we want to see in a router, what problems does it solve, what's wrong with the routing solutions that we have today. And uh, yeah, talk about what that beautiful, ideal future that we want to live in looks like with respect to routing. So you've been thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, what have you been thinking? So basically, I mean, I, I am a uh, Ember Core Team Emeritus. And back when I was on it and very a lot more active, I did a lot of work on, on the router, particularly with how it handles like, asynchronously loading data when you switch between, when you click on links and you go to different sections of your app. And um, spent a lot of time, you know, over the last three or four years figuring out the nice patterns for what you actually want to use um, if you're building out lots of Ember apps. And then kind of around that time, like right after landing some cool stuff and some not cool stuff, such as query params, which has sort of been a challenging aspect, I you know started working at this company, Future Proof Retail, that is mostly like 90% of the Ember work that I do there is, is in mobile apps. So we use Cordova, so we're basically running these apps inside a web view, inside either iOS or Android so that we can stay with the technologies we are most familiar with, such as JavaScript and CSS, HTML, and build apps uh, using that. And then we can use Ember to do that. And what I found was that I couldn't really apply a lot of the same patterns, all these nice conventions that Ember Router gives you. I couldn't really find a way to map that onto what I needed to build in mobile apps. And there's sort of a few different reasons. And for a long time, I just really... You know, I got really busy with the startup, just trying to build these things and kind of went off the sort of happy path where I really just couldn't find a way to like make thing, make it look like an Ember app, right? Because one of the nice things about the, the, one of the, the whole points of uh, convention over configuration as a sort of Ember and Rails philosophy is that one of the benefits is that if you know Ember, or you know Rails, you can drop into someone else's app so long as they're following these basic conventions and sort of immediately know how to be productive, know how it's structured, know how to make a change to it and have it sort of maintain a kind of convention and not just have everybody who's using some framework 
sort of build these totally different apps from each other that have no sort of shared conventions and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So everyone's supposed to be able to sort of learn from each other, grow with each other as long as they stay within these conventions. And I couldn't really find out how to stay within Ember conventions and build these mobile apps. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, I just didn't really contribute too much to the Ember router at all. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of fell out of touch with how most people were using it because most people are building these desktop centric apps and here I am working on these mobile apps still after like three years. And like, um, what were some of the specific use cases that were just impossible to, or not impossible, but presented a challenge? The first one is, which is I think is actually one of the easier problems to solve, but still is kind of challenging is that you want something that's called stacked routing or stacked navigation mm. in a mobile app, which is if you're actually building a native uh, iOS app or an Android app, they both have different names for how they provide you this, but you're, you're thinking of things in terms of, of stacks. You know, in Android, you're, you might open another activity, which is sort of a full frame of, of, a, of a page in your app, and you can sort of push it. And then when you press the back button, which is kind of built into Android phones, it'll pop that off the stack and take you back to where you were. In iOS, they give you a UI navigation controller and let you sort of push and pop view controllers. And that is how they want you to think about these applications. And that is sort of contrast to what Ember makes you think about, which is like go and define your sort of static hierarchy of all this different, all the different places that you can be in an app. But with stack-based navigation, you don't necessarily know upfront all the different orderings of which frames are going to be pushed onto what. And you might have situations where like you want to be able to dynamically push, say, and add a credit card page to where you are and maybe it depends on some data that's been loaded at some lower level in the mm -hmm. stack and you can't model that as nested routes in the way that you might think about it in classic ember apps it's it's a different structure now when, in, now when you say lower in the stack so i'm i'm curious if you're entered in aren't you oh you mean uh, i see previously in the stack okay right so lower in the stack so you're you're thinking like your current position is at the top of the stack Right. Yeah. And then, so, so you, right. I see. Now, let me just kind of clarify this in my 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 own head. So, you know, the the Ember route is the your Ember routing structure is ultimately realized as a static tree. But at any moment, you are entered into you know one path through that tree. So you do have something resembling a stack. It's just is it the pathways that the the ways that you can actually get nodes onto the top of the stack is you're limited because that can't be dynamic. Yeah, but even then, it's it's hard to describe what the difference is, but the kind of stack that you're thinking of in terms of the classic Ember router map is it's like more, you know, it's it's more like you're in these different sub-states than you are different frames that you've pushed onto your there's sort a of finite, flow. Yeah, there's a finite and fully enumerated set of next states. Of right, things. so if, to be very concrete, if you have like a, a post route, and then a post show route, and then a comments route under that, like these are all nested in a row. And if you're in like the comments route, you are in a kind of like hierarchical stack that might have loaded the post that you're looking at and maybe the post collection above that and the comments for that. But you're still in like one thing. You've just expressed that one thing in terms of these sort of substates so that you can everything, every other state that's in that parent state can like share the same data loading. That's different from like saying I'm on this page and now I want to push another page on it and maybe like tap into some of the data that's been loaded on previous pages. That's almost, that's more of like a navigation stack than a hierarchical sub sort of uh, right. stack. 
So is the difference then that the data dependency, because if you think of, you know, the Ember classic where you've got this static tree, you know, at least theoretically, all of the data at, in the leaf nodes depends on the data that's above. What's, so, so it's not just being able to dynamically push stuff onto the new stack, but it's also saying you want to be able to push stuff that might have no dependency on the, the stuff further up, and it doesn't need to be re-rendered if stuff further up the stack changes. Correct. But sometimes it might. Right. And so, yeah, there are all, a lot of sort of corner cases that come out if you try to model this new way that a lot of those corner cases have been thought out of if everything maps nicely onto the sort of uh, hierarchical substate classic Ember stack, but mm-hmm. not for navigation. And if you want to do something that's stack routing based, I've, I've kind of had a few different approaches, right? So at our company, we kind of maintain a suite of different apps um, that are all sort of retailer or grocery centric. And the, the first one we did, which is kind of the more popular flagship one is is mobile checkout, which is an app that lets you um, go into stores, scan items on your phone and, and check out and skip the cashier line, you know, which is great if there's huge lines and you just want to buy a little handful of things or maybe even a whole shopping cart. But that is, like any other mobile app, is really conducive to the sort of step navigation approach. And then we had to make a few apps after that. So such as there's sort of like another app that is uh, used by a cashier. You do a manual bag check. There's another daily ordering app. There's a handful of other things that you can imagine just might be useful in a grocery store. And so I took the opportunity to like, okay, I didn't really like how the routing turned on the, the main mobile checkout shopper app. So let's try a different thing. So a few approaches kind of worked or at least have their pros and cons without really feeling like they're solving the problem. And one is like right. sort of maintain your own sort of in-memory stack of where you were. So it's like every link to you have, you might recall where you were and then use that sort of logic in addition to what's in a URL to decide like what kind of transitions to make, which we use mm-hmm. liquid fire for that. But right. like already there's this kind of weird growing question of like, why are you even using the URL? Is it helping you at all? Is it, and I don't, that was sort of the main issue with like mobile, the main app that we did. And so the other approach was, was to try and like not even use any of the router.map stuff at all. I, like I used the router.map to basically just create one wildcard route. You can use normal Ember to use a like asterisk path. And that mm-hmm. basically collects the rest of the URL as a string into as, as a param that you can use to do whatever you want with. Um, and I was using that to basically pass to another user, which is internally used by Ember to do this sort of like stack based parsing, like grab a little bit of the URL and then like use parse the params for that and then grab another. And so every time you could see your stack in the URL and that had its benefits, but other challenges too. I mean, the worst part about it is that it's like getting further away from, from Ember. And so any add-on that you might want to use that like thinks of things in terms of which route you're in and, and has conventions like that you just can't use. I can't think of a good example at the top of my head, but it's just like the further you get away from those norms, um, the less the Ember ecosystem can help you and you're just mm-hmm. on your own building your own framework. So this is all to say that I think I have enough experience uh, at this point to kind of bring home some of the things to Ember and I'm excited to kind of get back into contributing to Ember if um, with this one particular thing that I'm focusing on now, which is, I don't even know what to call it. It's like, um, what does it do? Is it route stuff? It's route stuff. Uh, it is basically, oh, well actually <laughs> let me, let me, let me sort of get into the other. So that's what's tricky about stack routing. 
and that's you know tricky to sort of if you're used to if you already had to go through the mental hurdle of thinking of like the Ember router and as a as a stack of states or substates, mm-hmm. uh, and you train your brain to think that way, it's really hard to like take yourself out of it and realize that what you're trying to build with like classic mobile navigation is not really. It, it almost looks like the same thing, but it's really different. The other challenging problem, which is specific to our particular app, is that you wouldn't think of it as a very heavily server-driven app, but if you have any part of it, if you're writing an app application that at any point can get like a message from the server being like, hey, your state has changed, and that state is like heavily coupled to like navigation of like where you're allowed to be in your app for the state of some certain model, mm-hmm. then you're going to have a really hard time, I would say, uh, modeling that in Ember. And I have a really hard time convincing people of this until they've actually tried to do it themselves, um, right. which is why I'm kind of going off and just building the thing and showing people um, well, I, you don't have to convince me because I think, you know, one of the biggest problems um, is there's the router is like the one non-reactive piece uh, of Ember, which is unfortunate because it's the it's essentially what is the equivalent of like the Redux store in a in a Redux application where it's the state that drives literally the entire application. And yet any type of non hash change driven updates, you have to manually manage. And so every time that we've done it, it's been a problem. And deciding what data depends on what data, at that point, you have to be very thoughtful because, you know, at least from the highest level, right, if there's, you know, damage to, you know, a, a piece of the tree higher up, you need to, like, realize those the effects of that damage or that change all the way down the tree. Exactly. Um, that is a great way of putting it. So to give a real example... Actually, so this is maybe a good time to sort of mention something about this thing called Ember Rideshare. So I've had a really hard time describing these problems to people. And mm-hmm. so I figured what I would do is I wrote this little blog like a few months back, a little article um, called Ember Rideshare. And it's just to give a name to the kind of app that's still really hard to write in Ember. And it's a mobile app. I mean, it involves stack routing. But the other part that's really difficult about it is this problem of like the router being in a silo. I mean, it is reactive, but it's only reactive to the URL. And so if mm-hmm. other things changes, they need to, like you said, sort of come in uh, and patch up something else about the router in case, like, you're at some URL that is no longer able to present some model whose state has changed. And so that's an article on a blog that I can probably link to in the show notes or something. So when I talk about Ember Rideshare, it's basically imagine using Ember to build Uber or Lyft. And it's got just the slightest bit of like, I mean, well, I guess the whole thing is really the whole point of the app is to coordinate your client side request of like, I want to ride with like the server going off and doing a bunch of things and like finding a nearby driver, displaying you a bunch of driver locations that'll show up. And then finally it finds you a driver and you, you're just, it's a constant communication throughout that point. You could sort of imagine modeling all the different screens as routes, but for any the the routes you're actually allowed to see at any given time are heavily dependent on what is the current state of like the, the user's current ride. Like you shouldn't be able to go to a route that like says like cancel ride request if you haven't requested a ride and a million of these other things. But you also have to like you as if you're an Ember developer and you think that's like an easy problem to solve, you're probably thinking I would use like the before model hook when I'm entering that route to check the state of the model and if it's not. If it doesn't make sense for the route I'm entering, I want to like transition to elsewhere. That's fine. That's good if you're doing an app if the user is like the one sort of deciding where to navigate to. But then when you're on a route like that and then the server tells you that, oh, your ride's done, you can't still be on that route. So you've got to write some kind of validations. It's like, okay, this is no longer a valid route to be in. 
um, is the user still in this route? Okay, then they Where should am go I going? this one. Yeah. yeah. So it's like before model doesn't really help you. It's this one shot discrete event and you just can't capture all the different things. So the goal, so the Ember Rideshare describes some of these problems in a little bit more detail, but that's like the main issue with it. Like you said, it's like you kind of like what is what is actually missing about the router? Why does it seem like it's if it's maybe it's reactive, but it's only to, reactive to the URL? What about all these other things that are happening into your app? And I'm definitely really interested. I mean, I think there's a handful of APIs in Ember that they're great, but they're they're kind of siloed off in, in a way. And if you want to make two different kinds of worlds meet, you've got to write a bunch of your own code yourself or, or just you have to do like mentally going back and forth and being like, oh, I did this. So there I, I can't use this kind of API. I can use this mm -hmm. one instead. It's like similar thing. Like I did a lot of work on the named blocks uh, RFC, which like previously there was silos between like if you're passing blocks to a component versus data, you got to think about them differently and all the ways that you might forward that data to a different internal component. If you want to build these like composable, reusable internals, like you just you got to be like kind of split brained about it. And I feel the same way about how the Ember router works. Mm -hmm. Like, you, it's only good at dealing with stuff that has to do with the URL and you're on your own if you need it to react to data changing. So that's what I'm trying to fix. Mm -hmm. Does that correlate with like your experience of working on Ember stuff as well? Or yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great. I think that's a great. Uh, yeah. a, a great way to put it. I think we've come to a consensus of the the problem statement. Except for query, I'm actually I am curious to see. You know, a, a, except for query params, I'm going to throw that wild card out there, or maybe we should save it for later. Yeah, we should. Um, I definitely want to come back to it, right? Okay. Um, because so if I say all this cool stuff and I still don't have a solution <laughs> to that, then what am I talking about? Um, right. Which, to so be you, to be honest, I haven't thought of every single possible thing, mm -hmm. and I'm I'm doing the thing where you know I talk about it on a on a podcast so that everyone can like guilt me into really finishing it, and I, I actually really think I'm gonna finish it. I'm very confident in the stuff yeah. I'm working. I'm very excited to bring it to people, but it is not all 100% fleshed out, and I would definitely appreciate anyone's help who is interested, understands the nature of the problem, and wants to help me work on some of this stuff in like the Ember community Slack or wherever. Yeah, I would be. Uh, I'm really excited to hear it and uh, see, you know, in what ways, you know, we might be able to contribute. Basically, the, the the goal is to find some underlying primitives that can model the current behavior of the router state, because obviously we can't introduce something that's going to break everyone's Ember apps. And so it's basically to recognize that the router, the URL, is something that goes through multiple passes of transformation to eventually become the thing that displays stuff on your screen. And so from the very foundation of it, you take, and this is actually a little sort of mini course of what. Uh, the Ember router does internally because it involves a few different libraries. And maybe this is sort of a rehash of like the first podcast I did with you guys. But let me, so maybe, can I, can I just say that there are some things that the Ember router really does right? Oh, uh, yeah. That, sorry, are, this, that are fantastic. And when one of those things is it baked into every single piece of data. So whether, I mean, it doesn't do the stack, but in that tree that it models, every single node in that tree abstracts away the asynchrony uh, of that node. And I think that's, absolutely huge so you get both the dependency enumerated like these are the the things that i need to marshal the the data to render myself and it's implicit that it might take some time i might need to draw on a couple of different things to actually assemble this data and so it's just you know the asynchronous nature is modeled up front and it's implicit and it's there every single time which turns out to be the right the right thing um, it's something that i've missed just 
it's been an excruciating void uh, in all the other routing solutions that I've tried outside of the Ember community is that they just kind of punt over asynchrony to you. Uh, right. And, and they're like, you deal with it. Not our problem. And it's like, actually, that is the problem. Anyway. Yeah. Um, no, that's a great point because if, if the router doesn't help you with any of this stuff at all, then it basically means that every one of your pages that you might want to render after the fact probably has to have some loading logic. Like if data is loading, show a spinner. Otherwise, here's all the data. And yeah. if something happened wrong, yeah. Right. And sometimes that is actually what you want to do. Like sometimes you want to do these skeletal UIs that look like the page that's about to display, but the data isn't there yet. So, you know, everything is regardless going to be wrapped in these if statements, else statements. Like a lot of Ember people, I think have actually, like, so, like you know, I worked in Ember concurrency and some people are using that to basically move more of that loading into controllers. That's fine. If that's what you're actually trying to do and that's what you're sort of opting into, that's a perfectly reasonable solution. But most of the times, you know, chances are you're entering a route and you don't want to have to like teach the entire template tree underneath it that it has to like handle all these different states. So there's these nice ideas that work in some cases and I'd like to make them work in more cases that ever helps you with right. and the whole loading all the promises and the model hooks and optionally going into like a loading state are really cool primitives that Ember is going to do for you that other frameworks that don't try to be opinionated, they won't do any of that for you. Right. Sounds like you ran into that with some of your React stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I definitely did. There's just not much help when you actually want to model asynchrony. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can do it. Uh, it's pretty easy. You just, you know, implement the right hooks or, you know, model a series of actions, either with like a saga or a, a epic if you're using Redux Observable. But again, you have to assemble it by hand and you have to generate those abstractions by hand and you kind of just want them to have them at hand already and, and not have to worry about that. But the advantage, though, is that generally those ones that you do have at hand or that you generate are fully reactive. So if you if new information comes that's germane to that particular leaf in the tree or that, that particular node in the tree, there's no difference between the initial state and the update state. And so, whereas in Ember, it's kind of, you've got your first shot and then that data is now at rest. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's actually one of, so I definitely have been looking at, uh, React Router and particularly V4. And, and, um, I think a lot of the stuff that's in there with being able to, I, I think, I think it was a little contentious for people to see at first, but being able to put things like, like in your render function, you could say, if, you know, this data is present, something that's going to be passed in via props or something, then mm-hmm. show a loading spinner. Otherwise, start matching these subroutes. That's really cool. It does, it yeah, comes at the expense that you can't, like, look at a central map of all the states your, your router can be in. But that solves a real problem. And it kind of demonstrates that the, the state world is not in a separate silo than the routing world. Right. Um, With Great power comes a lot of bugs. So, you know, you do run into a lot of things where you have things, you have rogue matching. <laughs> you have random things that are inside your view tree that are matching against the route and they just render and you, you have to be very careful because it's, it's almost like the difference between blacklisting and whitelisting. I see what you're saying. It can be confusing. Yeah, I think it's definitely a trade-off. I think if I'd had something like a match, I might have been able to maybe arrive at a stack routing solution a little earlier. I'm not, I'm not sure mm-hmm. about that. Um, it's definitely something that sounds like it would be handled by uh, React Router. But mm-hmm. I, uh, it's also just a really neat way. Of, I mean, I think one of the things that React and React Router is better at in general is that everything is more or less like 
a component that is more easily swappable with something else right. and you're not going to hit as many of those silos. And I, and I really do yeah. think if, you know, I went through a lot of churn and maybe some people had trouble, maybe a lot of people, I don't know, had trouble kind of following all the major versions, but I think React Router version four is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, I think this is the fullest realization of that kind of modular mindset. I think the biggest problem I have with it though, is that it's, it requires the view tree to model your routing structure. And that bar bothers me. Like I don't, I like, I feel like you could do the exact same thing. You could have a routing, like a way to express your routes, not necessarily with a separate routing file. I suppose you could do it with JSX or something, but actually have it be kind of like orthogonal to your view tree. Uh, so the way you can model this kind of dynamically updating thing that can match against anything and can have, you don't have to, you know, maybe even express it all in one place. Although yeah, it's, it's, um, it can get, once you get a big tree, like it can be hard to control that. But right. I have, the part that I've come into most conflict and maybe who knows, maybe I just haven't used it enough. You know, we've only got one application that we're using the router, v, router V4 on, but the fact that it's actually in the state tree or sorry, in the view tree, like bothers me. Um, and it's in like the state objects, like it's in it, like it's hard to adapt to Redux because that state is opaque. Like it's the routers controlling it. Uh, and I would like it to be like, not have to pass through react components, but just be like, give me the fire hose of the router state. Like, right. You I, know, I love what you're saying. <laughs> um, the thing is, I mean, if I'm going to be bringing some of this stuff to Ember, I can't suddenly make it work like, uh, you know, matching within in the view tree. So that's not sort of what I'm working at or proposing right, here. Right. All this stuff is basically to empower that fire hose to respond to more things yes. that can drive the fuse and respond to them in a, in a live way, not a sort of like one shot async validation hook only when you enter a route. Right. I think so part of, I guess, so maybe, maybe this is what the, the problem that you're trying to solve. And one of the things that's nice, the one of the things that's really nice to be able to match against anything inside the view tree is that Ember is like the rendering process of a route is very opaque. The process by which an outlet gets connected and that's not something that you really have much visibility into. Is that, is that a good uh, statement of the problem? Or, or? Uh, that's definitely part of it. You, you definitely have to go to the documents. And I mean, I, I think it's telling that... I've never done it. Like, I don't know <laughs> how that, I don't really know how that works. And I've written a lot of Ember code. How what works? Like the actual, how, the, how a route gets rendered like the mechanics around which I understand how the, 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 the route object actually makes the decision to render its template and do all that stuff. I know it as a user, but I don't know the mechanics and I wouldn't know how to extend it. Just definitely keep that in mind. I'm not sure if the stuff I'd work on would immediately make some of that stuff more clear. I'm definitely one of the goals or constraints is to really try and like break down the silos. Whatever mm -hmm. I'm about to propose bringing to Ember, I want it to also be something that would, that would be useful uh, you know, possibly at the at the component or template or controller level, right? Rather than just being this thing that lives only into in the in the router's weird black box of right logic that occasionally calls hooks that everyone knows about. Right. Um, so in a sense, I'd say that they both suffer from from that same problem. But so I'm curious to hear about the fire hose. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> like uh, such. So <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So to actually get into what I'm thinking and building here. Right. I can just dance around it all day and then maybe <laughs> next podcast. Just say, um, save it for the last 30 seconds of the podcast. That way there can be no. <laughs> so we're swapping Ember, we're swapping router.js for router, uh, React router before. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so it's basically this. Uh, so quick, quick little, what, what's happening today is that 
you have a URL, it's going to be parsed in a way that you've taught it to via the router map file, which every Ember app has. And it's the place to go to sort of see all the different places that you can navigate to in an Ember app, which is great. So you basically taught Ember how to break your long URL string into these usable bits. And that's going to give you an array of these things that internally, who cares what they're called, but they're called handler infos. And they basically say, uh, this first element of this array is named application. Every Ember app has one. It uh, doesn't have any params. The next one, it starts getting into what your URL actually is. Maybe it's like co corresponds to like the slash post portion of the URL. So that's going to be named post. And that doesn't have any extra params either. And then there's this thing that is like, you know, post show or something like that. And then that has a dynamic param because that's the part of the, the URL that has like the slash one, two, three, and that corresponds to the post ID. So it's basically, if you like thinking of things in terms of like transformations or observables or mapping and sort of functional transformations, that's taking a URL and turning it into an array of these useful hojos of information, right? So the goal is to sort of keep transforming that into something that eventually has enough data to display in templates and, and whatnot. So in this giant black box of the Ember router, it's transforming, it's going through those transformations and then it's gonna go through this long series of like, okay, using these params and this useful array of uh, neat POJO information, start hitting hooks on people's routes to load data. Um, hit before model, model after model, redirect, all these things to give like tasteful names to all the kinds of validations and checks that you might want to do. So you do cool things like in your before model hook, check if the current user is actually an admin to prevent them from going into any like slash admin sub route. Uh, that's a really cool place to go. And it's also a great convention. If you know, if you're like in a new Ember app and you realize you can't go into this route, it should sort of click in your head. Like that sounds like they've got one of these uh, route redirect hooks to ensure that you're not going anywhere you're not supposed to go. And all these things are like really still to this day, like extremely strong, well-designed, like went through many passes of review before it landed. And, you know, I think they cater to certain kinds of user-driven clicking around apps, but they are extremely strong to this day. And I think really the only thing that's missing is just that, I think it's kind of a smell, I, it's sort of that example that I gave with like checking if the user is an admin, it's a bit of a smell that that is not reactive. It's a hook. If it passes, great, you're in the route. It's not going to keep on checking that. And so what I want to do is basically either in addition to or as an alternative to specifying these one-off uh, like model hooks or these hooks that you that only really just fire one time, have essentially what is like an async computed property or an async validation that is upfront about things it depends on and Ember is going to be smart enough to constantly reevaluate these things as stuff changes. And it can depend on not just URLs or URL parameters, but can also depend on data. So if you're thinking about Ember Rideshare, which again is an imaginary Ember app that like, is essentially Lyft or Uber, mm -hmm. if you have a ride, a current ride model loaded somewhere, maybe by a parent route, or maybe it's on some service, you should be able to specify like an async property or validation that says like I depend on uh, ride.state and for all these sub routes I would, you would want to say like if either upon entry or any point in the future if the state ever changes to something that I don't know how to handle then go to some default route and that would be already in particularly in, in, in my app which is sort of a subset of like 
you know, is a different kind of Ember rideshare app, that would be a huge help because mm-hmm. you know, the only other alternative is to build a sort of sibling central coordinator to the router that isn't the router but has to sort of agree with it. And then every one of these frames that you might push onto the navigation stack, they sort of have to do some little chunk of code and then like invoke this logic to be like, okay, did the state change? Go where you're supposed to go. And they all have to sort of do that logic. And it, it would be, I think, a great win for conventions to, as it has, if it's a benefit to make people jot out their states in advance, to empower them to jot out also their data constraints in advance so that you mm-hmm. get things like automatic redirects when things change. I think that would be huge. I know that would immediately benefit off of it. And I think it would be, I think it would fall on the same kind of problem solving that I like to work on like Ember related stuff, which is like people don't realize how big a problem it is until they see that there's a better way of doing stuff. And I right. think with that being so there. Like, so like as an example, like let's say that, you know, you, you're an admin and then all of a sudden you get fired and there's an event that comes from the server that's like this person is no longer an admin. It like it like wipes out, you know, the Ember data store and then you know redirects you outside of the admin route. Uh, right. Or something like that. Yeah, I mean that's a perfect example. I mean, to be pedantic, I think a lot of people do hard refreshes between like login, sign off stuff. But if you have it all in your Ember app, that is that would just happen automatically, right? Right. And you'd still want the ability to have more like graceful transitions because like one of the tricky things about having stuff driven by data. Uh, is that you have this like giant matrix of like, if I'm in this state and this event happens, how do I handle it? How do I make it look like well-designed mm-hmm. to the user? But you're not going to be able to hit every one of those constraints. So to just have some basic logic that's just like, oops, something happened. You're not an admin. So mm-hmm. here you, we move you to the sign-in page for in those cases where you haven't f- fully filled in all of those leaks, uh, I think would be a huge, huge win. And you can just progressively decorate things according to like the, the common flows that people take through your app. So, you know, I'm just imagining this like so model, for example, would be or like model promise would be some computed property. Then, you know, that how would you enumerate your dependencies just through kind of the, the, the mechanism that, you know, we have now? Or so, are you imagining something entirely new? I don't have a strong opinion on it because the moment I start saying what that specific syntax is, the mo- moment people stop <laughs> wanting to like agree on what's missing and what we need to have yeah, regardless yeah, and be like, I don't point. like it. I, I'm leaning towards something which is, I'm inspired by, you know, a lot of my learnings from on like observables, which is actually what we talked about last time. Yeah. Um, cool thing about observables is that like there's kind of almost limitless flexibility as to like, if you're in an observable, what hits an event, it can take that event and spin up another observable based on that thing. So it's like right. if a URL changes and you're listening to that via an observable subscription, inside that you could kick off another observable of, of an Ajax request based on that URL. And it doesn't sort of like make you enumerate all these things up front. Uh, I think there's going to be a sort of compromise between that. I think when you get into these kinds of problems, you run into stuff like Relay. Um, mm-hmm. We're familiar like the Reacty. I haven't used Relay. Just the idea of sort of dynamically collecting all your dependencies up front before hitting the server and asking for specific chunks of data that you need, mm-hmm. it's a very promising idea. But if you make it so dynamic, there's cases of just dynamicism where you, you know, the data comes back from the server, then you realize that you need this other piece of data and there's no way you could have collected it up front unless you statically wrote it up front. And I expect to find that with this approach that there's going to be some stuff where you just have to sort of be more upfront about it. But I had a cool little spike the other day on um, 
auto computed properties and it, I'll also link to that. It's a different way of writing computed properties where you don't have to specify your dependent keys up front, but your getter function gets past a, well, getter it's function itself. It gets past the dependencies? Is that a... Not even that. It's uh, imagine writing a computer property and the first argument that you get is a function that you can call to get a property off mm -hmm. of this, but also track that you got that property. So if it ever changes, it'll invalidate again. And right. that means that you don't have to have that awkward, you know, writing. If you're implementing a full name computed property, you don't have to write first name twice, both in your dependent keys and in the actual getter in, in your function, which I think is kind of cool. And I'm trying to make that pattern work for this data loading thing um, so that you don't have to have this hugely verbose thing and just list the stuff in one place. I sense that the magic will probably break down in some complicated cases, but that's what I'm trying to to, to run with because I think it's pretty cool and succinct and sort of a natural evolution of the um, what people think of as computer properties. The other thing that I'm actually, the other major constraint, um, I think this is also worth talking about because I think it's one of the best things, best kept secrets about the router, or, or it's like one of these things that everyone's benefiting from without realizing it, is that if a transition occurs in the router, it's going to, like everything in the router, it's going to be a possibly long asynchronous chain of operations as it collects all the data that it needs for the new route to display. And in that time, if something happens, if the route, if the, if some hook comes along and has a exception, it couldn't load data from the server, something happens and it just says transition.abort, that's going to stop whatever transition is in place and you're going to stay exactly where you were and you're not stuck mm -hmm. in a sort of partial transition state. That's pretty awesome. That's like basically database uh, atomic transaction semantics um, that people have been benefiting from. They've been using Ember for like, you know, four years at this point. But again, it suffers the problem of being locked away in the router. Like that mm -hmm. is a cool concept. You should be able to like specify, like I intend to change the state this way. And if I gave you something that's like logically inconsistent or can't be fulfilled, don't leave me in a weird half-assed state that I need to somehow like fix and know how to fix in all the different places where I might be kicking off this transaction. And right. I'm trying desperately to preserve those semantics when data comes into it. And one of the harder things to do is, and this is like honestly going to be one of the hardest sells for people who are used to thinking about Ember is, you know, there's kind of a issue of like, if you're implementing one of the, if you imagine whatever API we're, we're talking about, it's probably going to live on a route, some kind of hook that might be called resolve or something else. Like what is the value of this? Like the, this context object that every function has, is it a route? And it's tempting to want to do that, and there maybe that'll end up winning, but winning out is sort of the best API to get people to use. But I mean, the, th the thing to realize is if, that there is no like consistent value of, of this. Like this implies that there's a state of the world and you're looking at it and it currently these things have these values. But there is, in this sort of transacting phase, there is no stable this object. And you right. can wind up with some weird surprises that, I mean, I know because, of, you know, I not as active these days, but, you know, particularly when a lot of these stuff landed and people started trying to do weird things in these transaction-y hooks, they're just like, I, why can't I grab the controller? The property isn't what I expected. And honestly, all the stuff that is kind of gross about query params is because of this, like, fundamental violation. Yeah. You have something that pretends to be a property that is there today, but is still driving this asynchronous thing that could fail. So right. I kind of view this as playing like an off note in the jazz like thing like you, you only kind of want to reserve <laughs> using this for like 
you know, you know, unless you're like the Miles Davis of JavaScript, like just don't use this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and by Miles Davis, you just mean like the god of like concurrency that will never write like incorrect race conditioning code. Right. And so it's just like you've got a, you know, it's like you've got the right reason and it, you know, you can spot the one in a million case. Uh, where right. it's appropriate, uh, you can spot it in an instant, right? <laughs> so <laughs> exactly, uh, I'm not that person. I don't know too many people who are, and that's yeah. not the that's not the API you want to land. Um, so I'm trying to maybe wean people off the dependency on this because, uh, and the way we've gotten around it in the past is to use again these more like discrete sort of get the value once functions called like get model and get params. Um, this is all very like in-depth stuff if you're, you know, pretty reasonably experienced Ember developer, but it's a way of getting a value from one of these like parent routes when you're inside a transition and the rest of the world can't see it, but you can because you call this mm -hmm. hook at the right time. It's super gross because it's just a method on a route that anyone can call at any given time, whether you're inside this transaction or, or not. And the branching logic of should I look up the data from the transaction object because one's valid or should I just get the current val uh, value of a loaded um, route is it, it's really gross to me and it causes real problems that, you know, confuse mm -hmm. people and cause them the right issues because they've been given an API that makes them feel good about treating these things as uh, stable objects. So, huh. man, I'm you know, so I'm trying to imagine now. Uh, you know, just like a, a spike in my head. I know you don't want to get too into like syntax, but, it, you know, essentially modeling the route tree as, you know, a set of observables where you can, you know, essentially instead of returning a promise from your model, you're just mapping an observable off of some some combination of the URL state or, you know, what other, what other, other streams of state you want to merge uh, to, to realize that route. But what I'm not seeing, uh, which I'm sure you also have the answer, is the, the original problem which was stack routing like we've talked about you know what kind of what we've been talking about is uh making the router fully reactive you know this fully reactive tree that's always on but that that problem seems almost orthogonal to the stack routing problem it, it is it's um it's been very tempting to sort of combine them that's really the, this is why this is such a hard problem is that you've got your ui navigation stack which almost maps almost to this like route hierarchy stack that everyone's used to thinking about, but they're separate. So you can't really apply the same lessons. And then you've got sort of stack routing, which is like, you want the ability for routes to while they're loading reference data that is dynamically available to them. I would say, I don't have a solid answer, but I would say the one thing that I think is going to help is that you have a few options for what you, where you want to sort of stash, how you want to represent like a URL or where you want to sort of stash your hierarchy. You could either like, actually just track it in memory. And then if you refresh the page, be like, oh, I depend on some like data that I expected to be there, but it's not, so transition elsewhere, which is not a great developer experience. You kind of want to be able to like make changes and refresh the page and continue where you left off. Uh, otherwise URLs aren't, aren't actually used by you know mobile app users. But the other place that you could possibly put the sort of like the navigation where have I been stack is in like a query param because that can be like fully dynamic and you can just sort of imagine every single page, like the most current page that you've popped is just some top level route, but you are sort of tracking the state on the side. I think if you solve the, the problem of being able to depend on things that aren't the URL or go through a more complex transition than what router gives you by default, I think it would be possible to treat that query param or that that thing you're stashing in, in memory as another source of, of data and 
the other thing that I want to try and make sure that this new API has is, is, is to really like treat it like dependency injection where you specify all the things that you need and you don't really care uh, from a routes perspective where they come from. And I think if you had that, that would solve a lot of the problems with stacked routing and where it gets data from. So to be very specific, today, if you wanted to, uh, if you were in that sort of post one, two, three comments route and you needed to access like the post model from within the comments route, you would probably do like this dot model for uh, post. Yeah. And that is basically, you're, you're naming not just the model that you need, you're naming the, the route that you know provides it up front, which I think is bad. And it actually, the real reason it's, it's like kind of the smell is that if you ever needed to change the nesting, maybe you need to like introduce another level or you want to nest all that under an admin route, then suddenly you're asking for the wrong route name. And so you have this sort of, you're not really sure all the different things you need to update if you ever change the nesting of your router. Right. Um, and there's solutions like relative URLs and other things that people have thrown around, but I think. Um, but like in the to use you know to go back to like in in the observable world, uh, and specifically like the Redux observable world, that's just you just make it, it's like a simple map, right? You're just mapping down off of a global prop. You know you've got some yeah, some but, some tree of state, and you're just like mapping. You're saying you know you're mapping off of you know I I need uh, what was it? It's like a model post. And, and you know you're just mapping down off of that, like wherever that state lives, you're mapping to it, and now you've got you're kind of slicing off your little garden hose off of the fire hose. Uh, right. But it's still one huge nexus think, of information. I've tried to apply observables to this problem. I think the one thing I, I don't think I've ever seen the observable analog of is is this idea of like dependency and injection. Like to to model something as a stream that transforms over time. Fine. No one. That's that's. Right. proven to be very useful but to sort of say i am an observable that expects these objects like give them to me i'm not really sure what that api would look like so i would say just as a, a straw man perhaps is it, it, so you have this dependency that it's a well-known location right it's a well-known name so with dependency injects oh. and classic it's like i depend on the auth service this thing called you know service colon auth or whatever so imagine that you have some you know pool of state, right? And there's some key called service.auth there, right? And as long as I'm just basically basing my stream, you know, the first thing I do is map off of this and maybe map off of another key and like then combine those into a, a single stream, then I can be sure that I have those things at all times. And if they change, that my mapping function or you know my my transformation function is going to get evaluated again. Does that did that make sense? Yes, I think we should. I, it'd be hard to see without code in yeah. front of me. <laughs> and and maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking about it wrongheadedly, but you know that would be you know an, a, a simple mechanism. You could know, you run it, yeah. Could you run it by one more time? I had so sort of like, like low just, battery warnings. Yeah. <laughs> so like, let's say that we've got some service, like some authentication service that you want to depend on, right? You want to you know like inject on it, right? Right. Uh, or you want you you want to inject that dependency, right. so why can't you then base your stream off of you know that key? Like you know, so you, you like you have observable map, right? Yeah. For example, I mean the list of transformations that you would have to do to like peel off multiple keys. Like I'm sure you could write helpers for it, right? But basically, you're probably if you're going to be wanting to inject multiple dependencies. Like the, well, well, the problem is this. So basically, if you want to write your resolve observable if you know this thing ended up being based on observables 
remember that there's no this in a route because of the transaction-y reasons that sort of right. talked about earlier. What are you getting that from? You need to have something passed into you to be like context.getobservable, bleh. I would just assume that it's implicit. That so, so I was, I was thinking that basically your model hook or your, your whatever hook would be, you know, okay, let's like at the simplest case would just be a observable that was modeled like that was basically taken off of the entire like global state or whatever of the router. Uh, sure. Or what have you? And so, like, this is the way the Redux observable works: is every single epic is what they call them, is just a transformation on the global stream. And so, usually, the first thing that happens is they map down to the local context, right? And so, they do they do know, that you, with like a path, like they have a helper that's like action of type, you know, blah. You only see a subset of the 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 actions that get mapped um, to the Redux store. So right. I, mean, I mean, I think it's like Redux uh, independent, but like theory, you know, at least in theory, yeah, every would, single every single epic is like basically uh, going off of the entire global state. But the first, in reality, what the first thing that happens is you're like, I am only interested in you know this subset of the state, uh, and so you do a map off of the global state down to your local scope, and then you work from there. Uh, and in fact, if you were you know had a convention around that you could even make that part implicit. So it's like I return an, an observable that's only seeing my lo- like it's only seeing the stream of local states. But even if you had that, um, that makes sense if, if there's a sort of canonical state of the world. But what you're doing when you're transitioning into a route is sort of trying to feel out another state in an asynchronous manner, right? Redux is very like the action caused the state to change, now the state is this. But like the action for type thing, I think that makes sense if you are subscribing to like the world global action on this one store. But right. when you're constructing this new tentative may not actually become the store, you're depending on values. This What we need in, in our API is something that depends on values that are from right. the tentative store. Not so action. it's very similar. Right. It's similar, right? But in, right. And, and so in, in Redux Observable, you're, you're mapping actions to actions. And you're not necessarily mapping actions here. You want to you get state into the equation. Yeah. Is that what you- it's yeah, right. and it's so almost observables. It's just this twist right. of like transactiony dependency injection. It sounds right. really over engineered, but <laughs> the thing is, it exists in Ember today. And if it exists in a less siloed way, I would certainly benefit, and I think everyone else would too. Okay, so huh, with that hand wave, we. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't mean for that to come as a hand wave. No, no, no. Like... I'm, I'm, I'm kidding because I think we actually have like a lot more to do. We actually we have a lot more to talk about here and we're running out of time. And so one thing that I wanted to ask is, is there any thought, you know, talking about Redux observable, talking about Redux and, and stuff, have you given any thought as to what this might look like as a library that everybody could use? Uh, I am basically sketching out, I've been, I basically have something that's using Ember CLI only because it's so easy to just use it as a sketch pad and get test passing. Um, but everything I'm building so far is just like ESX class syntax that can, that can be transpiled to, to whatever. And I'm um, actually realizing this is, there's a lot of overlap between some of the primitives that are involved and like Glimmer. So mm-hmm. it may or may not have a pass that uses references for tracking when things change to right. know when to invalidate and refire these sort of async hooks. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, I'm going to make sure it, it lives sort of in the JS usable world and not just Ember's sort of special object model land. 
Right, right. I mean, well, those interfaces are pretty narrow, right? Like the the, the things that implement those interfaces are you know huge and complex, but the the way at least I understand it isn't like the you know the reference interfaces themselves. Uh, really simple, yeah. Really simple. Uh, it could almost be copy and pasted, you know, uh, and and not have much maintenance overhead in there. Yeah. So, okay. So here, here's a question because I can't. This is probably getting too far into the weeds because I think like in terms of can you not model a transaction as an observable? Like, couldn't you have some sort of observable that's like, you know, that doesn't, I mean, essentially you'd have a, with a flat map, you would have, you would merge in some observable into the, you know, into the chain that was like basically a transaction of all the other, like the observables from which it's composed. You know, a transaction as it builds up all the new state over time could be part of sort of the main tree and, you know, if there's an active transition, then that sort of future potential state that the world might become could be modeled as sort of a leg of the, of the redux state, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you could theoretically do that. I'm definitely worth a try. I don't think I would benefit too much from doing it now. And I think this could be a premature optimization, but there, I think there would be just like quite a bit of intermediate object collection to express that and yeah i think theoretically it works but how it's going to feasibly map to ember in the, in the near future it would be harder to kind of start yeah. Yeah. that way yeah yeah there's actually a lot of stuff that is very reduxy that again a lot of ember people don't maybe know about because it's like internal but the way that ember particularly i think since since edward um brought some of his learnings of liquid fire back to core ember there's this concept of outlet state, which sort of describes, I'm not an expert on it, but just sort of like uh, what's rendered where, and then each outlet sort of gets like a chunk, kind of like you said, like a little piece of the fire hose, a little garden hose um, mm-hmm. pulled off the main thing so it can just focus on that one piece of state. Like those are simple objects that are sort of produced as part of this transformation process. So that's kind of reduxy in the way that it's just like everything just gets like a new pojo and stuff changes. But it's not strictly redux, obviously, and it probably won't become that just because it's already good enough on its own. Yeah, so it's, I think it's actually good at this point to be hand wavy uh, because the most important thing is like to be non-committal about the, uh, the syntax, like you said, because that's when the bike shedding begins, and like now is not the phase. Like it's the phase is to c- come to some agreement about like what is the what is, what is that we would love to see. Uh, and basically, the thing is this: I think people need to realize that. Ember won the bet that the URL is an important thing to build apps around and that you should, if you have a state that's representable in the URL, that state should go in the URL so that you can send mm-hmm. links around and not break the web and have a work that apps the, have an app that works without sort of bolts on half ass routing. And I don't think anything I'm proposing is going to make that go away. It's just that there is already this giant world of stuff that's not expressible in Ember today because it is sort of driven by state. And if you make that as easy to express and as upfront to express, I think you can have sort of shared conventions versus what everyone who's building these kinds of apps that I have to do have to, have to do, which is to make a sort of separate router mm-hmm. of state-aware stuff and not have to make those two things agree with each other, which is really hard. Right, right. Yeah, you're you're writing your own. You're you know at that point you're writing your own framework, and maybe this is the next big thing because I feel like you know Ember usually has uh, the best stuff. Way, 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 way before. Like now we're finally getting to a point where everybody seems to realize that, yep, having a CLI is like absolutely critical to the developer experience. 
Um, and most frameworks like aren't taken seriously uh, until they've achieved that. And, you know, it was the same thing with the router like back in the day. You know, I'm wondering what that next thing is. I don't know. Yeah. I, uh, I can't say if this is I don't really know. I don't think this is going to be it. Uh, <laughs> I just think it's a good progression. And I think uh-huh. um, a way forward that progresses what's still a pretty legit central structure to build apps yeah. around uh, is yeah. just, just would be welcome. So when are you going to um, be done? When is, like two, two, <laughs> two or three days. Okay. <laughs> All uh, right. No, well, I, I don't. I don't know. I think I'm basically going to be continuing to get feedback. Like the way that a lot of the original router stuff came back was just like, just constantly hit people with real examples, mm-hmm. Ember Twiddles, things that are just right. like, oh yeah, that thing. That's a cool pattern. That sucks in my app, and I didn't realize that until I saw this example, or right. just these things that really teach people why this is necessary and then because that's going to get people's urge to be like well you could just do it. oh you can't because the thing that's hard yeah. to explain yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. there's going to be a lot of that regardless and i hope that'll that'll kick up in the next in the next few weeks so okay so you who knows? And, and and the the focus of that is going to be the ember rideshare uh application um i think that's a good one i mean it's just yeah. one that everyone's familiar with uh-huh um, have you already kind of implemented in it like this kind of frankenstein-ish you know, this is the kind of histrionics that you have to go through to in order to to implement this style of routing or this style of application using today's Ember? Or have you started to begin experimentation uh, with these new concepts and kind of try to build out better ways of doing it? I'm not strictly extracting it from one app. It's kind of this sort of combined like I said, the few different apps that we had were an opportunity to be like, well, this routing stuff's hard. Let's try mm-hmm. another the, you know, the mini route recognizer approach was an example um, to try a different stack routing pattern. Um, but the thing that I'm sort of working on is a like drawing from like three different apps, sort of slightly different takes on it. And I will try to drive, I'm going to be basically, I have something that is close to being testable in, in one of my main apps. That'll be a great chance to sort of validate if all this stuff is as nice as I think it is going to be. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, cool. So if uh, people want to uh, get in touch with you uh, to help, you know, contribute to the conversation or, you know, just publicly guilt you uh, yes. uh, <laughs> into moving faster towards it, uh, how, how would they get in touch with you? So I'm M-A-C-H-T-Y on Twitter and GitHub and also the Ember Community Slack. And I think I'm going to try and get people to talk about it. There's a channel called Dev-Router where you know, it's focused on development stuff mm-hmm. around the router. Yeah. So it's, I, I, this is kind of funny because, you know, I'm talking about this thing that I've only had maybe like 12 people take a look at and comment on and uh-huh. sort of begins these conversations. And I think maybe some people are going to hear this and be like, what are you talking about? But if no, it gets no, people no, discussing no, no. it. You know, the best conversations uh, seem to be organized around you, man. Uh, <laughs> like I'm just trying to think of some of the best like development conversations that I've had uh, in 2017. Um, and, uh, you know, you were definitely, you know, I would say the one who fomented them and like, you know, yeah, it starts with like 12 people, but then, you know, if enough people take interest and be like, wow, yeah. Oh man, I didn't even know that was a problem. I could, you know, let's, oh, this would be a cool way of doing it. Like, you know, they, they have a tendency to balloon and then, you know, some fizzle out and some, uh, end up with real results. So anyway, I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate it. And likewise, you're definitely one of the best people to talk about this stuff with. (laughs) Well, I hope other people, We'll love listening to our conversation. Cool. So 
With that, uh, we'll head on out. Thank you, everybody, for uh, if you've made it this far. As always, you can get in touch with us at, at the Frontside on Twitter or just send an email to contact at frontside.io. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you.